Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Hi, my name is Elisa Minkin. I'm the chair of the JOMA Preventative Health Committee and a general pediatrician. And I'm here tonight with Dr. Perla Perlstein. Dr. Perlstein is a psychologist and assistant professor of psychology and faculty advisor at Turo College. She received her PhD in psychology from Hofstra University. She has a private clinical practice in Brooklyn, New York. She's also co-author of the book, along with Elisheva Zephrin, the book, Secrets of Great Teachers, 22 Strategies to Energize Middle and High School Classrooms. She can be reached at her email, I'm going to spell this, perla.perlstein, P-E-R-E-L-L-A dot P-E-R-L-S-T-E-I-N at Turo, T-O-U-R-O dot E-D-U, and at her phone number, 347-731-9837. And we're going to talk about grief and loss and the dealing basically with the emotional fallout of COVID-19. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, Dr. Perlstein. Sure. Absolutely. So I would, if it's okay with you, I'd like to start with your personal story, if that's okay. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, ah, it's a loaded topic. Um, It's hard. Yeah, grief and loss and really adjusting to, to COVID and we're we're still not over it, so we're still in it, you know, which which makes the whole thing kind of interesting. But um but I would say that the focal point for me um really uh concerns my father. Mm-hmm. Um and I lost my father COVID. At this point, I mean his because your site is Yudchas Nissan. It was colloid, mm-hmm. so that would be, and we're in Thomas now, so I'm just trying to think, you know, about three months. It should be about three months. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I, I, I find really challenging is that the, the loss um, of someone in, you know, in these circumstances, and every loss is unique, but mm-hmm. the loss that I would say here is that it's sort of, um, it's entrapped, so to speak, in tragedy mm-hmm. and trauma mm-hmm. because the the way in which it happened, and you know, and I and I've been speaking some to, to to some other people about it. In other words, like their own experiences. I've had a couple of clients who've lost spouses, um, you know, to COVID, mm-hmm. and they all have similar experiences, which is that it happened very quickly, mm-hmm. um, and it's sort of like it almost feels like a car accident. Mm-hmm. You know, because because one minute he was fine and then the next minute he wasn't. And and so and also, even though there was like a 24 or 48 hour window, um, let's say that he got sick, he got sick. Right? He was in the hospital for 10 days. So mm-hmm. he got sick, I would say, two weeks before he passed away. Um, and I didn't go see him because I was afraid to. Mm-hmm. Um, I have young children. And so I was, you know, worried about that. 
and I don't regret it because I think at the time I made the decision that I made and I, I don't know if I would have made a different decision. Um, Were you allowed to see him? Because that's when... Um, no, I mean, even before he was hospitalized. Oh, I see. When he was home and he was sort of like, you know, at one point it was like, okay, let's, you know, Hatsala came, they said he's not, he's, he's not sick enough to go to the hospital. And it was also at the peak of COVID. Right. Um, so the, unfortunately, I mean, the deaths at that point were like in the seven, eight hundreds per day in New York. So we're talking about at the peak of COVID. Right. And so they really, you know, and at that point, they, um, my parents live in Borough Park. My father lived in Borough Park. So, mm-hmm. you know, at that point, they weren't even, the Hatsala was not sending people to my mommies anymore because they were just past. Overloaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they really waited until it was absolutely necessary which actually for me right now, I, I appreciate because, mm-hmm. you know, you're always second guessing, you know, right. like why, you know, but anyway, but the point was that for my, for me, um, I, let's say I got the call on a Sunday just to kind of give it, you know, time context. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go see him Sunday. I didn't go see him Monday. And then Tuesday morning, it was like, okay, that's, He, um, I'm sorry, you cut out a little, you cut out for a second. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. So he, you know, he wasn't doing well. And he also, um, he also was not, not that he wasn't doing well. He also was confused at that point Mm -hmm. because of lack of oxygen, you know, oxygen depletion. So we knew, I mean, this was it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and unfortunately even in the hospital, and this is something that so many people struggle with, um, and including, you know, a close friend of mine who lost her brother, you, you couldn't visit, you couldn't right. see your loved ones. And, 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 and you, you were really dependent on what you hoped was good care. Mm-hmm. And today, just parent, you know, just sort of like as, a, as a, an aside, I see there's so much anger, which I want to get back to in a minute, mm-hmm. so much anger, which very often is part of loss and part of grief um, at the system. You know, not a specific person, but I mean, people want to get specific. You can blame the governor, blame the mayor. Mm -hmm. You can blame the cheer people at the hospital. You can blame the doctors and the nurses, but just so angry because, you know, you feel so helpless, you know? And so we were just waiting for that one phone call every single day. And so it was really, you know, that just sort of made the experience that much more painful because even if you're doing nothing, you feel like you're doing something if you're Mm -hmm. there with your loved ones. Um, so the helplessness, the helplessness, very often when you look at trauma, you see there's a, there's a level of helplessness there that mm-hmm. I couldn't do anything more. And so it was part of that too. Um, but, but ironically enough, I mean, he was the only one on his unit. He was at, um, he was at Mount Sinai in mm-hmm. the city and he was the only one in his unit that was not on a ventilator and, um, and he was doing well and he, we even had two Zoom meetings that we arranged mm-hmm. to have, and he, right, you know, I had my little girl with me, my, my, she wasn't, I mean, now she's two, um, and he even mentioned her name, mm-hmm. and like, oh, that's Malka, that was the last thing I ever heard him say, um, but the fact that he recognized her, you know, mm-hmm. told me that, you know, that, that he, you know, that he was coherent, because you mm-hmm. couldn't tell, he was, he was on a BiPAP machine, but he wasn't on a, on a ventilator, obviously, mm-hmm. otherwise we would have had heard him say anything. Right. But then, you know, and over Yontif, don't forget this was Yontif too. So many of us are making Yontif for the first time. This, this mm. happened this year and I have young children too. Um, so everything was sort of happening at the same time. 
Um, and so you're almost like in this sort of survival mode, you know, like it's just not one day at a time. It's literally one hour at a time. Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, we did get, you know, and I think of it as a bracha, which is that over Yontif, um, my brother got a call that he, um, that they moved him out of the ICU onto a med surge unit. So we did have some like really, you know, we had contentment, you know, there was mm-hmm. um, but then Mate Shabbos, which was the third day of Yantif, because, you know, the Cholomite was the first day of, the, the first day of Cholomite fell out on a Shabbos. Um, I got a call that they had to put him on a ventilator. And then once I knew that, I knew, okay, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's over. And it was, it was over within like three, four hours and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, you know, I, I don't, and I think that for so many people, especially that week, that week, it was like they said, and I, you know, they, Ms. Askin was saying that close to a thousand people were sitting Shiva. Oh, wow. Because, because if people died on Yontif, they, you know, Shiva starts after Yontif. Right. So, so you had a lot of people sitting Shiva, a lot of people for family, and then, but you also had a lot of people who had passed away over a significant, over that Yuntif period. And so Shiva started for everyone the same day, which was like, you know, that night, the night that, that uh, Pesach was over. And then of course the Shiva was, and, right. the, and the, the Levias were so different. And it was like, because you have a Leviah on, on, on let's say, Cholamoid, but you're not, you're not, I mean, you're in technically in, you know, Aeneas, but you're not really, it's not Shiva. So, and then you have Yantif, and then you have to sit Shiva. Um, and Shiva wasn't normal, right? Because you you didn't have the same. And for me as well, it was like, I, I couldn't even mourn properly because right. I was at home with my kids. My husband took off, but still it wasn't the same. At one point, at one point, it was like maybe the second or third day I spoke to, I have a, a brother-in-law who's a physician and I asked him, I said, you know, do do you think it's okay for me to sit Shiva with my brothers, my mother? Um, because I just, I, I couldn't, I, it, it wasn't providing me with what, with what I thought Shiva provides people with, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, when, when you're sitting Shiva, you, you have to sort of entrench yourself in the morning in the sorrow. I mm-hmm. couldn't do that. And I was just sort of thinking about even post Shiva, like the whole point of post Shiva is that there is a Shiva period. If you don't have the Shiva period, how are you supposed to move on or at least continue to progress in some way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, we talked about it and we talked about like, you know, risk assessment and, you know, was I a risk? Was I at risk? You know, that sort of thing. And then, and he's like, you know, listen, mental health, uh, Trump's it. I mean, he, he, he basically said, you know, you got to do what works for your, for your mental health as well. Uh, let let me did. just make sure I understand. What you mean is that you were originally planning on sitting individually so as not to potentially affect each other. Right. Exactly. Oh, wow. And I was, meaning that, let's say, just to, again, you know, the last day of Yantif is Thursday. So that takes away one day of Shiva because it's, a, it's an extra day, right? So mm-hmm. Shiva technically started Friday and then there's Shabbos. So I really only had three days. Um, and then Sunday morning, I'm like, this isn't working for me because again, you know, the kids are around, I'm taking care of the kids and I'm just, and, and I'm sad, obviously, right. you know, oh. um, and I just needed that time. And also the point of Shiva is to, is to really talk about the, the person who, right. Hey, I, I couldn't do that. Um, and I also wanted to talk to 
people who 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 felt the loss the way I felt that loss, mm-hmm. which would be my brothers right. and my mother. And so you know, so yeah, so at first, and they were sitting together because they weren't worried so much, or mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe, meaning you know they weren't that you know too concerned about it. Right. And you also, were more cautious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was more cautious, mm-hmm. and I was more you know, and 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 so, and I guess part of me was thinking like. You know, I didn't see my father before he went to the hospital. They did. Mm. It was almost like, and now I'm going to go see them. Like in my mind, I was like, oh no, like I just, you know, I passed on an opportunity to see my father before he was hospitalized. And so I felt almost like compelled, almost, you know, honor bound to myself to make that sacrifice, you know, to mm-hmm. kind of prove that it made sense, you know, mm-hmm. um, which was irrational, but, you know, so I, I spoke to my brother-in-law about it and he was like, no, nah, I think for your mental health and, you know, you could sit further apart, right? but, and you can wear a mask, which I brought, but I didn't end up wearing it the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was careful enough, you right. know, as much as I could be. Um, and it just, it made a very big difference. It was very, it was very necessary. Um, it, it it did. And so, you know, I don't know what people's, you know, experiences um, have been, but, but for me, that was helpful. Um, and, you know, the fact that you don't have, you know, visitors, I, I, I didn't find that because, you know, Baruch Hashem, I have no reference point. In other words, like I didn't have, oh, well, last time, you know, right, right. the first time I'm sitting Shiva. So to me, it was like, okay, you know, and I was fine with it in a way because, if the phone rings or you're not like in a place to answer, you don't answer it. But when somebody mm-hmm. visits, it's like, you know, you got to be on, you know? Right. So there, were, there were some advantages that I mm-hmm. recognized, you know? Um, and it wasn't, it was just, it's really about, for me, it was also about just being able to process, you know, which, mm-hmm. you know, so, so, but in any case, so, so what I find about, about this experience is that, um, is that it's sort of the loss you know, it, it it was unexpected. It came out of nowhere. It was, there was almost like this mask psychic grief, you know, mass psychic trauma mm-hmm. because so many people were, 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 were affected at the same time. You know, maybe it wasn't that everyone could sort of say, oh, I lost someone. Um, but everyone lost something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, um, even your sense of, 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 of just uh, reassurance, you know, mm-hmm. Like the world is, is safe. It's not safe. Yeah, the world is not safe in this yeah. pandemic. Like before this, it was like the you know we, we thought of the pandemic as like 1918, you know, with influenza. This doesn't mm. happen in today's you know day and age, and and also all the uncertainty, you know, mm-hmm. like we still have all this uncertainty of like antibodies. Everyone's taking their antibodies tests, and it's like, well, and now they're saying you know reinfection rates, and you know. So the point is, there's so much there's so much uncertainty here. Um, and that's part of trauma too, because you don't know for sure whether or not you will be protected from a future event. Mm-hmm. And so you take whatever steps that you can take in order to minimize the probability of being affected by a future event. But then at what point do those steps become infringe on and, and restrict your life? You know, so that's where it's also a matter of just trying to figure out, you know, what are the reasonable precautions that you take? And we all have to make these decisions. You know, it's like, you know, you know, at the beginning, it's like stay at home. It's a stay at home order. In a way, it was like you couldn't make right. it. Right. It was yeah. universal. Everybody was the same. Yeah. Now, are you sending your kid to day camp? Are you not? You know, 
are you are you choosing to to take takeout food are you not you know what i mean like everyone is making these decisions every day right without adequate information to make them right yeah. exactly or even the media there's so much fear mongering going on right right like, you know and especially as a parent it's like terrifying to think that something that i do or don't do is going to affect my child's health it's it's terrifying you know so right. and, and i think we look to each other to see what's the right thing to do yes exactly but also that when you when when i let's say for instance i chose to send my children to day camp mm. speaking to that same brother-in-law um and so so who also is choosing to send his child to daycare, mm-hmm. even though he, you know, and he lives in Florida and they're, they're, they're experiencing a, you know, a peak there now, you right. know? So, you know, we talked about it, but the idea, but the idea is that every time I hear about a, a parent who chooses not to send their child, it's like, what did I do? And then everything, every time I talk wrong, them, right. Yeah, what am I doing? And then every time my child and every day my child comes home from camp and is happy, I'm like, okay, maybe. And, and so you're sort of like, you know, back and forth about these things because they're not easy decisions to make. It's not like, it's not like, like we, we have guidelines to follow. In other words, the camps are, it, everything is legal. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so it's not like I would ever do anything that was illegal because, you know, especially where your children are concerned, it's like do what you possibly can do to keep them safe, you know? Right. And you made an important point two times already about your shiva and being with your family and about sending to camp about the need to balance risks and benefits, including mental health of your family members and, and, and also of, of family togetherness. And that's, I'm seeing a lot of discord as people are starting to say, for example, make a wedding. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. And some people are, we're over, we're done. COVID is gone. And that's not true. No. Right. Like it's not, especially in other states like Florida, which seem to be going back and forth to New York all the time. You know, they're surging there and even relatively low here is not non-existent. But there are those who are done with it. And I'm sure we all want to be done with it. Right. In those same families, you have others who are continuing to be cautious. And some of these families members are high risk. And that to me is is a whole other topic of what it's like to be yeah. a high risk person whether you're elderly whether you have you know medical conditions whether you have a child with medical conditions or some yeah. combination of that yeah. and feel that maybe everyone's moving on without me yeah exactly especially now as things begin to open up mm-hmm. and yeah. Some, yeah. some people are moving on some people are and 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 also the idea that not everyone agrees with the pace Mm-hmm. that we are we choose to move on to or with or at or you know and it's it's also the idea that you know i i think that even when this when this when this happened we all had to make certain decisions so for instance you know i, I was speaking to to a, a close friend of mine who is a neighbor of mine as well who lives in um i live in an apartment building and she was saying how she felt it was so she she's you know she's she's single lives alone um and she was saying how she felt it was so cruel when people were saying you know do the seder on your own she's Mm. like i don't want to do the seder on my own you know that's really and when she said that to me and at the time i was kind of careful but at the time i'm like something clicked i'm like and i told her i said just you know what we'll be your what's the term now pod you know yeah i've heard that (laughs) we're a bubble right and so she's come to me 
since okay. Pesach every Shabbos. And she sort of adopted our family. We've adopted her. We, you know, there's a garden, you know, outside our building. And we, 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 we see each other all the time. And it's like, you know, this is part, you have to make these decisions. Or I have a brother who's single. And I'm like, no, you're coming to me for all the meals. You know, in other words, even at the height of COVID, even at the height of COVID, I still made certain decisions. Um, I still made certain decisions mm-hmm. because I felt that, again, cost-benefit analysis, right. like we're all quarantining and she's quarantining, then this is what we're going to do, you know? And so, you know, I was careful about, you know, how, how far to extend the circle, mm-hmm. you know? But we all have to make that decision. And, and the idea that, you know, understand, I mean, at one point I felt like, Speaking to certain people, especially the people who were so lonely, it was like right. I was talking to someone who told me he works for um for the uh, for Hatsala, but for the the the, the um, for the mental health division, and he was saying how the amount of calls that they got over the three day yuntiv of people that were just um, I don't you know depressed, but also even attempting suicide. He said it was ridiculous. It was horrendous i mean the number was 80 i don't know i don't know if it was nationwide i don't know where that number came from but it doesn't matter to me because that number is an incredibly high number especially in a community that abhors this idea right. so 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 the idea that 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 at one point the the reform becomes the maka so to speak you know right. and so and so you but you have to be mindful you have to be mindful of the fact that you know that 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 loneliness is an isolation is 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 just it that perpetuates this you know whatever mental health condition a person has is perpetuated under those circumstances right and i think it's important to keep in mind if you know people who could be isolated yeah. to and you're capable exactly. of reaching out to to do that because that's yeah. That, you're right. It's an obligation. It's, it's not just something to do. It's right. an obligation. It's not nice, it. right? It's not just nice. It's it's absolute obligation. Yeah. But to Absolutely. be aware of it, because the problem that that I see is that we're all in our own little pods. We're all we're all isolated from each other, and that that can be yeah. really hard. Yeah, and that's why I think it's sort of like as we open slowly, think of how to extend the pod into whom needs it the most, and and how you can do that, you know. And so, and there's some creative ways of doing it. Um, even though I, I, you know, nothing, nothing really takes the, the, the place of human contact, but, you know, but, but, but the idea of, of, of sort of looking at it, like I looked at it as an obligation, you right. know, and after my father passed away for me, it was, I felt obligated. It's like, I mean, not that I necessarily felt obligated exclusively and only, but also the idea that I, I was like for my mother, I'm like you know, coming for Shabbos and all of that. It's like, it, it's, it's, I, she, how could she be alone? You know, right. why would I want her to be, um, you know? And so that became almost like, of course, like a no brainer to me, you know? And so, and again, the, the point here is, is that, is that, you know, it's, it's, it's about weighing pros and cons and that rigidity could be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, you know, at the beginning, you know, it was like, you know, it sort of was like, okay, we really didn't know what to expect. And the numbers were just climbing, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, but now we have to make decisions, you know, now is the hard part because the government is not making the decisions for us. We're making them. Um, I mean, the government makes certain, you know, decisions or they give us certain guidelines, but there's so much flexibility within those guidelines. 
that we still have to make decisions, you know, such as for me, the camp situation. Right. It was like, right. there's camp, you know, and it exists, but I don't know because some people are not sending. So my point is that that is something that I, I find is, is also very hard to do. And I also see clinically um, that people are becoming more anxious because once mm-hmm. they were sort of at home with the stay at home order, it was like, okay, I know what I have to do to keep myself safe. I'm okay. These Once are the rules. Yeah, I'm going to follow them. What are the rules now? I, exactly. But now it's like, what are the rules? And then you see so much contradictions to those mm-hmm. rules that you're like, wait a minute, what's the agenda behind the rules? You know? And it's like, and now I have to, again, I have to make decisions. And then, you know, for someone with anxiety where there's an intolerance of doubt, mm-hmm. like the what ifs, like what if I make the wrong decision? What if because of what I do or don't do, something bad will happen? those decisions become that much more painful to mm-hmm. make. Absolutely. And also, there's also a lot of judging and anger. Oh, yeah. I'd love definitely. to hear your, your take on that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's also a matter of, it's that because, again, there's some flexibility in this. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I see it as well where, you know, in certain communities, in certain communities, it's sort of like, you know, you, you don't even notice that, that there's, that we're dealing with a, a situation that is still tied to COVID. Mm-hmm. And then literally like five minutes later, as you're walking, you're like, oh wait, now everyone is wearing masks, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, but I see that there's so much judgment on both ends, on both mm-hmm. you know, sides of it. And the idea of, you know, you're judging people for not taking it seriously enough. You're judging people for, you know, judging you for not taking it seriously enough. And the idea that, 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 um, you know, something that I, I've seen also is, is, is the idea that, you know, people, people forget that, that your personal experience. You know, that your personal experience doesn't necessarily color the general population. In other words, you know, if, you know, I live in an apartment with my kids and it's like, we, we don't have an A room. And right. even if we did, where would we go? But the point isn't even that. The point is that, you know, it, it's different than living in a home with a backyard. Right. You know, a close friend of mine um, who lives in Bergen County was like, I'm not sending my kids to camp, you know, but she also has a pretty nice sized yard and a front yard and her kids are much older and it's very different, you know? And so, right. <laughs> you know, like, right. You, it's, it's but in terms to... of like all the anger about the sleepaway camps, you know, yeah. where, where they're saying how incredibly important it is, people who have backyards don't understand that. They don't understand. And also, you know what? We don't understand this, but there are people who don't have internet. Right. There are people, for instance, who don't have Zoom. Right. There are people, for instance, whether it's because they choose not to for, you know, for, for cultural reasons or they can't afford it, you know, but there are people, for instance, I can say that, um, I live pretty close to a target and they had a line at one point that stretched to Avenue J. These mm. are people who can't. And obviously if these people could buy things online, they would. Right. Why would you want to choose to stand online for two hours? You know what I'm saying? And so to judge people or there was uh, at one point there was somebody who was, you know, I don't follow social media, but, mm. but a close friend of mine was, was telling me about this whole debate that was going on about the fact that there was this, this was also, this was sort of like, in maybe it was at the end of April, beginning of May, you know, so COVID was still sort of, it had peaked already, but you know, it wasn't what it was now. 
thank God we're, we're you know, we're at a much more comfortable place. Um, in may it continue of, to go down. <sighs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so, but, but there was this father who had gone to the grocery store with, with his toddler and people were really upset about it. And it's like, well, if the father had no choice, what is he supposed to do? And so the people that are judging just don't understand that their circumstances are actually more unique than they'd like than they think, you know? Um, and on the other hand, on the other hand, I mean, you know, it's also the idea of there's a lot of misunderstandings and miscommunication, misinformation mm -hmm. that's sort mm -hmm. of being sent to an experience. And so the idea of even masks, not understanding what the, the function of the mask is and who it protects, you know? Right, right. And that's the problem because we know that while the mask will protect you to some degree, it actually protects people around you to even exactly. a greater degree. And there, mm -hmm. there lies the anger of people yeah. who see someone right. not wearing a mask. You are endangering me. It's not that exactly. I'm worried about you. You're endangering me. And there is a level of hysteria, though. Yeah, there's a level of, yes, there is definitely a level of hysteria. But I do believe that because especially from our community and we take we take the idea of chesed so seriously, you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. and we take the idea of communal responsibility very seriously. Um, I think that if there was an understanding of that, I don't think it would be as much pushback, you know. Um, mm -hmm. In other words, the idea that when you are around, especially vulnerable populations, you know, that we respect the elderly very much, um, and we and we um, and we regard their safety as 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 the greatest concern, you know. Um, I do believe that if it was properly understood, people would, you know, respond differently. And at the same time, I remember seeing a notice in, in, in my elevator um, that, you know, children have to wear masks, children as young as two. And I'm like, mm -hmm. my two-year-old's not wearing a mask. So it's also the idea that the guidelines need to make sense. You right, know, as be a flexible. Right. I mean, like, come on. Right. What does that to, mean? Right. To be crystal clear, children under the age of two cannot wear masks. Yeah, it's considered risky. And and I'm like, telling you, right, as a pediatrician, that not all yeah. children older than that can. And like you said, you have to be flexible. And we don't know anything for certain about this. Right? It's not one thing. Um, but it looks like children are not the main spreaders of this. So I don't think we have to be hysterical about a, a child who's not wearing a mask. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. You know, I think that it's, again, it's about social communal responsibility, but, mm -hmm. and at the same time, understanding that people's experiences are different and that, you know, you, you, you know, you sort of have to balance those two ideas. Right. But the know? flip side is, and this is something I'm concerned about is that while a lot of these communities who were hit the hardest at Crown Heights, Borough Park, for example, um, are saying they have herd immunity, which we don't know if that's true, but certainly it looks like they have been hit harder and have shown signs of potential immunity. We don't know what those antibodies even mean. Um, but it's also, even though people have been out and about without as much protection, right, I'm just kind of generalizing here, we're not seeing a significant resurgence there thank god and like i said may it continue to go down um, no we're not and i but, and i, I spent some time in borough park too and yeah what you're right. saying was what i saw so. right but but what we have to realize is that there's a certain percentage of the population who may be the at risk the greatest at risk who mm -hmm. hunkered down early because they knew they were at risk well that's always scary is that when they come yeah. out what, what are we going to do you know right. it's, it's sort of like it is, and that's sort of 
and you're seeing that like for instance you know the the bigger shoals for instance they they're sort of dividing into different minyanim and at one point they were saying under you know over age 60 you can't come and now they're sort of saying you can so they're trying and they're being very cautious about it you know to remind everyone that we value life you know and so i just i, I don't think it's a lack of value you know for for life um if, if you were to and that that's where the judgment piece comes in Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it has anything to do with that, you know, um, because that's that, that's our one of our greatest values. You know, what's the, one of the greatest Torah values is life, you know, um, and we do everything that we possibly can to prolong it. Hence the ventilators, you know. Right. right. But if you perceive that it's over, you will not be as cautious as if you thought it was ongoing. And it right. is exactly. very low. And a lot of people have had it already. So we can understand that. But we have to continue to protect the most vulnerable and, and also emotionally protect them because I, I can't yeah. imagine what it'd be like to be someone who hasn't had it, who's living in this community or, or any community now who still has oh, to hunker down yeah. because we're opening up, but they can't, they can't. Or that they have to make decisions. Like, uh, you know, one of my aunts is really afraid to attend her, her grandson's wedding mm-hmm. because, you know, her brother, that would be my, you know, this is my father's sister mm-hmm. passed away mm-hmm. from COVID. She never, had covid her her daughter that she would be going to because she's from out of state did not have any antibodies mm-hmm. and what is she supposed to do and so she's very afraid of that and i think her experience is not unique right no for sure i mean you know if it's not a wedding that you have to decide to go to then it's it's something it doesn't have to even be a simcha but an idea of like at what point are you going to leave your home or enter that store or visit your children or your grandchildren or i mean at one point you're making a decision and that's scary right and also i think you mentioned before how when you were going through you know what happened with your dad and 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 thank you for sharing that story with us it's very very personal and and very hard i'm sure it's very hard for you to do and and very meaningful for us to hear it because unfortunately a lot of people have have been through this um you mentioned that you just were doing things almost on autopilot right it was minute minute by minute so i think it's one thing to deal with something traumatic immediately but what about in the long term absolutely and i think it's also a matter of just recognizing that the hard part is not getting through it the hard part is 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 sort of adapting to the Mm -hmm. aftermath you know Mm -hmm. And, and I think that, you know, there's, there's two points I was, I, I was, you know, thinking about, which is that, you know, when, when this all started, for instance, I thought, you know, if it wouldn't be for the fact that people are dying, this would almost be a blessing, you know, because you're reminded of the important things in life mm-hmm. and you are spending, I mean, before then I wasn't spending that much time with my kids and now I'm spending a lot more time with them. Um, this was at the beginning. This is not four months later, you know, right. it's the silver lining stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, okay. And so, you know, like your mind has to find it. Otherwise, like what, what what's the alternative really? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the idea was that, you know, and I thought I was going to catch up on certain things. Mind you, my kids are little and I have to balance. I was still working mm-hmm. and managing their zoom schedules and there and having them at home. And my, my husband works in healthcare, so he wasn't home. And then my dad. So it was one of those, and Pesach. So it was one of those things that I'm like, okay, whatever, it happens. But I realized at one point it was like, you know what? Nothing is getting done because 
it, it's, it's survival is taking up my energy. In other right. words, this is not a vacation. So you're not going to reorganize your closet. You know, um, it was hard enough for me to make Pesach, but, right. but the idea is that this is not, this is actually very stressful. This is a very stressful time. And so the idea of stress is that, you know, your expectation, you know, you've got limited resources and then your expectations are like, whoa, you have way higher expectations. Right. Like, how do I keep my, you know, I was, I'm a faculty member at Tura, so I had to keep my classes going. I also have a private practice, so I have to manage that. I had my children home, and then there's also the household that has to sort of stay somewhat clean-ish, and there's Pesach that is my dad. And so I'm like, okay, I've got all these expectations. I have no resources, right, because no babysitter, no cleaning, none of that, right. you know? And it was like, okay, I will be stressed. I mean, that is the definition of stress, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was almost like an acceptance point, you know, mm-hmm. because honestly, if anybody would ask anyone, you know, paint a picture five months ago and say, how do you think you're going to react two months in, you know, most people would have been like, no, that's not happening. I, I can't do that. Right. It tells us that, you know, that we generally react better to things, um, than we think we can. In other words, we, we have a lot more strength than we know we have we're more resilient we're more resilient we are certainly more resilient and i think and 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 the idea that we don't have to fully anticipate what life is going to throw at us is is, is a true bracha because there would be no way for us to know how we could react Mm -hmm. until we're in the situation and we act and we react um which is why which is why i don't look back at what happened with my father with regret i mean Mm -hmm. i'm sad about i mean Obviously, I'm sad about it, but that I I don't, I think that, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing now is that there's a lot of anger at the hospital system, at the, you know, at, you know, whether it's the city state level of like how things were handled in, 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 and I understand it. I understand Mm -hmm. where the anger is coming from. It's an emotional response, which I think very often happens when you're feeling helpless. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to lash out at something or someone. and I understand it. But you know what? I also understand that this was all part of the, for me, I feel like this was all part of the the unfortunate tragedy that we, that my family had to deal with. Mm-hmm. And that it's just, it, this was part of what was was supposed to be, you know? Um, and that, and the idea that, that, that we did the best we could with whatever mm-hmm. we had, you know? And, and it, it's not to say that, we shouldn't try harder. In other words, I think we can learn from this experience. I think we could set better goals for ourselves for whether it's individually or as a family, as a community, as a country, of course we could set better goals. I still think that we did the best we could with what we had. So that's good that you're able to get to that, that level of acceptance, but but a lot of people seem to be getting stuck. What would what would you yeah. say? What would you say to when someone should be seeking some kind of help? Well, I think that um, you know it's a great question because you know at what point does grief sort of like merge into depression? Um, at what point does adjustment mm-hmm. turn into more of like a stress reaction? You know, like trauma, for instance, is a stronger stressor. You know what I mean? It's post. Mm-hmm traumatic stress disorder so mm-hmm. we live with stress every day but sometimes the stress overwhelms us especially if there's like threatened death or serious injury and then we're like oh god either to ourselves or someone that we love 
or we've even witnessed it. And then we, we just can't get past that, you know? Um, mm. And so really what you, what you want to be looking at, the two main things I would say that you want to look at is the distress. So in other mm. words, how often do you experience personal distress? Mm-hmm. So how often is it that you find yourself crying about, you know, in my case, it would be my father. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how often does that happen? How intense is it? Am I able to sort of, you know, move on in my day or does that color the rest of my day? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the level of distress? So how frequently am I experiencing it? You know, how reactive am I? Because you can tell emotionally. I mean, if you're, you know, you can tell if your reactions are strong, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's like um, that you find yourself getting seriously irritated and yelling at your kids a lot. Mm-hmm. You know that you're not in an, your, your emotions are intense, you know? So, you know, your emotional reactivity is always going to sort of correlate. It's going to relate to the intensity that you're experiencing your emotions, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and that's why, you know, people who cry, you know, when intensely, they're experiencing intense emotions. And how long do they last? You know, mm-hmm. so I would say the first hallmark to know, oh gosh, I have a problem is that the distress that you're feeling seems like it's overwhelming. You know, I mean, because if you look at, let's say, grief, Shiva is different than the Shloshim. And then the Shloshim is mm-hmm. different of the year. And if you're still feeling like you're in a Shiva period right. or even a Shloshim period, then you know there's something going on. You know what I'm saying? You know that there's something. You're going to have sad points. I mean, I like candles. I think of my father. Of course right. I get sad. I mean, these things are going to happen. Or I have a memory of, of, of him doing something with my kids. And all of a sudden I'm like, and then I get sad. But right. that's normal. normal. I mean, that's going mm-hmm. to happen. And it's going to happen out of nowhere and it's spontaneous. Sometimes you can understand it. Sometimes it just seems to be like, what? You know? Um, so the, the first thing I would tell you again is the personal distress. And the second point I would say is, you know, is it causing you not to sort of, is it preventing you from meeting your obligations, your responsibilities, being able mm-hmm. to function? Right. You know what I mean? Like, like what's the status of, of, and what does your house look like? I mean, is it different than what it usually does? In other words, like, you know, like, are you not able to sort of like, you know, are, are you not able to get out of bed normally? Are you able, are you not able to take care of your kids? Are you not able to, um, you know, let's say just meet whatever demands that you, that you have, like whether it's work related or even social obligations, mm-hmm. you know, um, whatever the, that, that may be, but if, is it difficult for you to function? Can you sleep? Right. What's your appetite like? You know, mm-hmm. so these are things that I would look at and I would say, you know, Again, you know, there is a, a, a hallmark of grief period, but that doesn't mean that you don't need to get intervention. I mean, I think, for instance, that the social support that people don't have right now right. is so needed. It's like I, 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 I've been for the last you know, couple of weeks, I've been trying to put together, for instance, a support group for mm-hmm. my mother um, of spouses, comprised of spouses of those who passed away over COVID because, you know, the tragedy is worst for the spouse right. and, you know, and it, it, and it happened so quickly and it was like, it wasn't supposed to quote unquote, right. happen, you know? Right. Are you doing these support, are you planning the support group to be live or to be say like on zoom or some kind of media like that? I would honestly, I, if people were comfortable with it, I would just say whatever people are comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I actually started seeing people 
privately, mm-hmm. you know, in person a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to, you know, to my doctor about it and I have the mask and mm-hmm. part, part, right. mm-hmm. and all of that. But I also know that it's different, you know, OMH, for instance, the Office of Mental Health, they put out these guidelines, but that's different because if you're talking about a clinic where there's a lot more traffic, right? it's very different, but, you know, in a private practice setting. So I would say, you know, back to the original question, I think that the the value would be incredible if it was in person. It's mm-hmm. also a matter of what people are comfortable with. Um, my mother lives in Borough Park, so I, I would imagine that many people would be comfortable and some people would not be comfortable, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But but I would say that there is, is, is tremendous value in doing it, period. And if you could do it in person, you know, safely, safely, then that would be, you know, fantastic as well. But I know how much, I see how much she needs it. And right. it's like, you know, that would help her even more than I think individual therapy at this point. Mm-hmm. You know? so, right, so much of this is normal and yeah. you realize it when you hear other people are going through the same thing you're going through. Right. And also that for, for someone who recently lost a spouse, especially in this way, mm-hmm. then the fear of loneliness, the fear mm-hmm. of being alone, the fear of, she said, she's like, my mom was telling, she's like, I, I, I can't stop thinking about Rosh Hashanah, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like thinking, wow, okay, so we're in Tamas, that's Tishrei. It's like, right. you know, in other words, but but I understand it because because now, you know, when 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 you're married, it's like you get used to doing things as a unit, and now right. you got to do it all alone. Aside from the fact that, you know, like she, now you have to learn how to do things that you never had to do. Everyone has their roles, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But if if the spouse paid the bills or did the grocery shopping or the heavy lifting or Whatever, something now, I don't know, life only needs to be changed. I'm just saying. The point is that it's a whole new experience and you have to learn to live with that. And hearing other people's sort of, you know, people's experiences, not only does it normalize it, but it just makes you feel less lonely. Right. And then they have tips also. Yeah, exactly. Practically, like just solutions, you know, of, of, of how to, you know, sort of navigate this new world that you really didn't want. And that's the whole idea of acceptance. It's that the idea is that, you know, if you, if the people who are not able to accept this new reality are just suffering with it, right? you know, that isn't to say that we have to like it or, you know, the idea of we don't have to, you know, approve of it. Um, but we do need to accept it because right. otherwise you're just suffering. Right. You have to cope with it. And if you're not coping, you, you should seek out help. And I'm just going to give a, a few resources. First, I'm just going to give your information again, just because I said it at the beginning. I'm going to say it at the end, because you are looking to form a support group, which I think is amazing. And I think that, you know, you may end up having to be a combination of in-person and by Zoom. So yeah. people who are not able to come mm-hmm. are not comfortable coming. That's how, you know, I think you might end up doing it. Um, your phone number is 347-731-9837 and your email P-E-R-E-L-L-A dot P-E-R-L-S-T-E-I-N at Turo, T-O-U-R-O dot E-D-U. And I just want to give um, a couple of resources for people who, who realize they need to get help now so they can turn to these resources. One is Amudim, A-M-U-D-I-M, Org. Um, there are hotline specifically for COVID-19 mental health services is 888-726-8346 and their general number is 646-517-0222 
And there's also relief, R-E-L-I-E-F-H-E-L-P dot org, 718-431-9501 is their Brooklyn number. So I thank you, Dr. Prostein, so much for sharing everything with me tonight, including your personal story and me, this being Aaliyah for the Neshama of your father. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you. You all take care. You too. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.